Welcome to the Mary Jane Experience. Unbiased, unabridged, and most of all, informative. From our mountaintop view here in Colorado, here's how we see the cannabis industry today. Let's look at weed. Welcome back, everybody, to the Mary Jane Experience podcast. I am Casey Jones alongside Strawberry Sequoia, who now actually has pink hair, um, so it's fitting. Strawberry color. (laughs) (laughs) Strawberry blonde. Now we have a strawberry blonde strawberry sequoia with us, which is awesome. You look great. Um, Thank you. Anyway, but this week we have another very interesting conversation, um, a little bit off topic about using psychedelics and uh, plant medicine basically to alleviate opioid addiction opioid addiction that's hard to say um anyway (laughs) strawberry who did you talk to what'd you talk about kick this off a little bit for us yeah i mean there's not much more to say but i interviewed a fellow podcaster his name is greg landorf and he has a podcast called new york sports and rhymes and he has a wild story he goes through you know how fucked up his life was and all the crazy things that happened to him when he was addicted to heroin and roxies and selling them and getting into all sorts of trouble and then eventually realizing that something needed to happen and he needed to get off these drugs and actually using psychedelics to help heal so not going to do much more explaining, really. Let's just share his story. Yeah, we're just going to jump into it like other interviews that we've done in the past where we just think the the actual conversation was more important than uh, trying to dive deep into it. We're just going to let this one play out. So here is Strawberry's conversation. Yeah. Let's actually start with a little clip from his most recent podcast. Zion Williamson made his much-anticipated rookie debut on Wednesday. He came out awkward in the beginning, looking lethargic after being sidelined for three months due to a knee injury. He wobbled around the court, only scoring five points through three quarters. Then, Zion struck in the fourth, scintillating the crowd, dropping 17 buckets in three minutes. According to Elias Sports Bureau, he became the first player in the shot clock era to notch 22 in his NBA debut in less than 20 minutes. The young man has arrived on the big stage, and we can't wait to see what's next. Similar to Zion, I spent the last four months rehabbing, not from a knee injury, but from a heroin addiction. I couldn't do this at first, as I'd still be shaking from Xanax withdrawal. I spent time wondering if I lost my creativity and was afraid to face life without a crutch. I was awkward and unsure of myself. Now, I'm back behind the mic, cleverer than ever, and sober as fuck, coming into my own and reuniting with life after spending mad time alone. It's as if I've arrived, and I can't wait to see what's next. This is Greg Landorf, and that was New York Sports and Rhymes. So we're here today to chit-chat about addiction mm-hmm. and um, sort of your journey of recovering. So I wanted to start with just your, your journey through addiction. What were you addicted to and sort of how it was affecting your life? Got you. So it's my story's interesting. I'm going to start with my most recent addiction and how that affected my life. And then as we go along, I'll bring up some earlier events. Uh, But 
the drugs I was addicted to were oxycodone and heroin. So Roxy's 30 milligram uh, oxycodones that you can sniff. And then that eventually led to heroin when I didn't have enough money to buy or sell Roxy's. So I started to uh, snort oxycodone during my sophomore year of college, which was in 10, 2010. Um, and then I started to sell them. So I went to the University of Maryland and this was before people knew how dangerous they were and they were really popular. So I was always good uh, because I ran a business, but it also fed my addiction. So I was addicted without even realizing it because it was always around. And opiates, I don't care who you are. If you take them long enough, you're going to be physically addicted no matter what. Uh, it's just they're physical. Um, so I got arrested, uh, five times in an 18 month span in college. Wow. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I was robbed at gunpoint, uh, and stripped butt naked and hogtied on my last day of college after I graduated, uh, by the person who was my roommate. Uh, he wanted to, uh, take all of my rocks, my connect flew in from Arizona and so this was his plan uh, to get me before I left. So when I got out of college and stopped selling drugs, I was still physically addicted. So I was spending a ton of money to remain high. Uh, and I didn't think it was possible to live life or to show up to work or events without opiates in my system. I was really successful uh, in my first couple jobs outside of college. I was a car salesman, yet... I needed to get high in order to operate through my day. Wow. So in 2016, uh, I blew through $200,000 in less than a year. Uh, I totaled two cars and uh, I had just been fired from another promising job where I was brought in as the internet sales manager to be the innovative mind behind this car dealership to get them up and running. Uh, I had been arrested for a felony the year before for possession of cocaine and heroin with the intent to sell. Uh, I was living in California, driving back to New York, and my dad was actually driving the car. We got pulled over and the car was searched. Obviously, I wasn't going to let him take anything, uh, plus the drugs were mine. Uh, that still didn't prevent me from stopping. And after I got fired from this job, I was 26. And I was living in Harlem. I looked outside of my apartment and I saw this homeless kid on the corner of the street. I said, well, that's going to be you if something doesn't change. I'm not sure how it's going to, but it finally made me open to realizing that what I was doing probably wasn't working. Wow. That's quite the story. <laughs> I mean, that's a really intense past. And of course... Sort We're not even like, close there to either, yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, I mean, that's the very condensed version. <laughs> wow. But it does, it paints the picture of, of what it's like to live a life with a serious addiction. You know, I yeah. think it's hard for people to put themselves in the shoes of somebody going through that. Um, and so I think it's important to hear that story. I do too. I think it's interesting because I'll run into some people now and they can know about my past and they'll see how well I'm doing and like, Oh, that's great. But then when they'll ask a question, 
question and I'll talk to them about when things weren't going so well, they're shocked. And it's like, well, what did you expect addiction was? Like, yeah. <laughs> like okay, like, oh, he's over it. So it, it couldn't have been that bad. No, it, it, was, it was bad. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, I realized that a change was necessary. I did not think it was going to work. Uh, I was so afraid of reality and not being able to operate, not being able to uh, go out on dates without being high. Not, I was. I didn't think I could show up to work. I didn't think. I thought my personality was elevated when I was on opiates because I could control my dosage, even though I was blowing through tons of money. Um, so I heard about this psychiatrist who had helped out one of my mom's friends. So one of her friend's sons. So I kept him in the back of my mind, but I wasn't going to use him until I knew it was absolutely necessary on my behalf. Cause I, yeah. I wasn't going to come into it half hearted. And I remember sitting down in his office and the first session was with my mom. So of course nothing got done there. I was high as a kite, um, <laughs> you know, said I was clean. And then the second time I went in there, um, I brought fake urine with me, uh, which is something that I've been doing for, I don't know, since I was probably 15 years old. So I could pass any drug test. And I remember filling the cup up with fake urine and he said, Oh, you're clean. He's from the Netherlands. This is my boy. We're, I still see him today. This is nice. the guy who's helped save my life. Um, oh, like you're clean. This is great. And I was like, you know what? I'm high as fuck right now. <laughs> this can work one way or another. I can't have you group me into a category as just a drug addict. So if you see things pop up in my system that are not heroin, I will pee for you and it will just be my pee. But if I need to be completely sober, this isn't going to work. So you tell me what you would rather occur. I could, these, these pee tests can show up clean or they can be positive as long as they're not positive for heroin though then maybe we can work together and you can see me in a different light for who I am yeah uh and he said I he said yeah he said I, I have no problem with that um and thank you for being it was the first time I was honest and so I uh ended up withdrawing for three days uh sitting on my bathroom floor uh peeing out of both ends, which is disgusting. I won't get into any further detail on that. <laughs> um, but I finally woke up on like the third or fourth day and it was unbelievable. I didn't think, am I going to get high today or not? It, just, it wasn't on my mind. And that was one of the most refreshing feelings. And it's something that I'm extremely grateful for. And it's something that I still remember today. Uh, it just, you know, everything happened had to be ridded and flushed out of my system. And I allowed myself that opportunity. And that is really when it hit home for me that I could go about life uh, off of. Way. Yeah. So you were doing drugs for how many years? I started smoking weed when I was 11. Um, and then I that progressed. And when I was 14, I got sent to rehab for smoking weed. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's probably the worst decision 
that could have been made. I remember I saw a doctor and he wanted to put me on some ADD medication because I have ADHD through the roof. But he told me that I couldn't smoke weed if I took the medication. And I told him I'm not interested in taking the medication then. And he then told my mom, he said, you know, your son will die if you don't get him help immediately. So (laughs) yeah, he pulled on those heartstrings and any parent that cares about their kid, but doesn't really get what's going on um, is going to listen to the professional who doesn't know me. And so I was sent to rehab, which escalated my addiction rapidly. Uh, I was there for three months. I came out, I was playing high school football and one of my buddies who was in 11th grade was like, Hey, do you want to do Coke? And I was like, hell yeah, I do. Uh, so that was in June in August going into my sophomore year of high school. Uh, I stole my parents' car and tried to sell it for cocaine. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, did not turn out the way, uh, my buddy and I planned for it to, uh, we ended up actually running into my uncle and uh, this team that came out to capture us and thank God they did not the cops. And my parents were ready to send me away after that. I convinced them not to. And then three months later, I ended up getting arrested for possession of cocaine with the intent to sell. Um, and that was all after my first stint in rehab. So I had a felony at the age of 15. And uh, at that was when I was sent to a wilderness program for two months. And then after that, I was sent to a funny farm in Texas, one of these therapeutic boarding schools, but you had to wear a jumpsuit that said runaway call 911. Uh, and I was there for 34 months. Wow. And I was completely brainwashed. The place is not open anymore. They were shut down for abuse on all fronts. Fortunately, I was not sexually abused. Other kids were. Um, and I, I left there with Stockholm syndrome. Do you, are you familiar with? I've heard effect? of it, but I, I think it would be good to explain um, very briefly what that is. So what Stockholm syndrome is, and this is my understanding, and I heard Who's Leah Durham? Is she the one who was uh, King of Queens and the Tom Cruise cult and she got out of it? She was doing an interview with Joe Rogan. Um, She explained it better than anyone and it completely resonated with me. So what it is, is you start to side with your captor. So I remember being there and I, my biggest strength was I could find loopholes and ways to survive in any situation I could adapt. And this place broke me down to pieces and then didn't build me back up. So I had no clue what was going on in my life. I didn't know what was right, what was wrong. And I, the only way I knew how to make it out of this place was just to agree with everything they said. So Smart though. Smart, yet you hate yourself inside because you're like, how did I allow myself to end up thinking this way? Yeah. Because when I got out, I had no clue what was going on with the world. Um, Yeah, they didn't allow you to talk to any of your friends. Uh, I actually graduated from this place and I was so 
stuck that I ended up working there for six months and the place got shut down after while I was working there. So that cut my stay short, thankfully. Um, but I remember I was able to see my best friend like three months before I came home for good. I wasn't able to talk to any of my friends while I was away. They weren't able to write me letters, no contact at all. Um, and you know, when you hug someone after a while and you're expecting just like that embrace to be unbelievable, it's like you haven't seen this person in forever, but they're still there. Yeah. Well, when we hugged, he could tell like, oh, he's not there, but it was okay. You know, he's like, listen, I know that place. I don't, that place did whatever to you. I'm, I don't, I don't care. You're, I'm still gonna, you know, you're still my best friend and we'll ride this out as long as it has to, for you to feel comfortable in your own skin. Um, and friend. <laughs> yeah, and he died eight months after I got out. Um, <laughs> so sorry. Yeah, in a car accident. Um, yeah. And yeah, sucks. Uh, really close with his family. I've got him tattooed on my back. Uh, nice. Yeah, I mean, I wish he was alive in person. It's one tattoo I wish I did not have. Um, and it's funny. I was when I was at that place. He had called the house during one of my home visits after like eighteen months. And he was like, you know, I caught wind that you might be home. I don't know what the rules are. I don't know if I'm allowed to see you, but I just want to let you know I love you and I support you. And I went back and I told them that. And he smoked weed. Um, this was the kid I got high with the first time. Um, I taught him how to roll blunts. Nice. Really good, 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 good human being. The first kid in his family to go out of state for college. Um, and the lady at the, who ran this place said, you know, if you keep people like that around, you will die. Uh, he's a terrible, he's a terrible individual on you. He's a terrible influence. You cannot have him in your because life. Because he smoked weed. Because he smoked weed. That's crazy. I mean, crazy. this kind of misinformation, I, I wonder crazy. if that's still even out there these days. And I think it probably is in non-legal states this place was shut down for that, you know, that had to be part of the reason. I mean, they were just yeah. spreading and this was in Texas and I a hundred percent think it is. I think it's why people have misconceptions on weed on other mind enhancing substances that are natural. Um, yeah. Right. Where it's and so parents. I mean, I've heard that from other people before where their parents get this misinformation okay, cannabis is bad. It's going to ruin my child's life. It's a gateway drug. Send them to rehab. And then that spirals out into <laughs> way worse consequences than if your kid just kind of got high in their basement. Like, that's Yeah. Fun. And I also like, I was a bit of a badass. I wasn't going to class. I, I wasn't headed towards a path of success. Uh, so, you know, something could have been done, but I think when you allow life to hand yourself the consequences, that's how you learn instead of forcing it upon someone. And it's interesting because, you know, both my parents smoke weed. My dad still smokes weed and my dad and I are really close. Uh, my mom and I have worked on becoming closer, but she was the catalyst behind me getting sent away. Now that was when I was from 15 to 18. I'm 30 now. So am I going to let something that happened know, 11 and a half years ago, still control my life today. No, that's on me. 
Yeah. Um, so, but it's been an interesting dynamic and, you know, it definitely did accelerate the path of drug use that I was on. Cause you're now surrounded around kids who are doing hardcore drugs. And then you come home with an identity. I came home with the identity like, Ooh, I'm the badass who went to rehab. So I felt like I had something to uphold. Yeah. It's so interesting. So this checkered past in a way, and, and you're, you know, all of your experiences and your drug use led to you becoming a pretty serious addict. How did you use cannabis to get away from that life? So I was clean for completely sober for two years when I got out of this place in Texas. Um, and then I eventually got to a place where, you know, I was with my therapist, with my parents, where I felt comfortable enough to smoke weed again. Um, and so let everyone know, you know, it was all good. Uh, I smoked and it made my mind race. It wasn't what I, I loved to smoke weed. It, it wasn't what I was expecting. Um, so that was a little bit of a letdown. And I remember eating a weed cookie. Uh, I transferred to the University of Maryland my sophomore year of college. Uh, I got out of the place when I was 18. So then I went to a school, small school by my house, uh, lived there for a year, and then transferred to the University of Maryland. Lived with my cousin, ate a weed brownie, and bugged out. Uh, yeah. Um, and then I don't know what he knew, but he woke me up you know, one or two weekends after. And it was like a really embarrassing experience because I was just going to meet people. And he was like, you know what? We're going to go take mushrooms today. Um, and you're going to take them. Um, and what we're going to do is we're going to split the eighth uh, in half in a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. So you'll eat a half, see how you feel. And if you feel good, you, you'll have the other half. But like, you know, it's me, it, it was him and his two really good friends who I'd, become close with. So I trusted them. And I remember going to the national mall. So sitting right by the uh, Capitol and eating that first half and just a smile coming across my face that I hadn't experienced since I was a kid. And I just was back in touch with myself. And it's like, you know, what? you're not a bad dude. Like you're a good guy. I was able to say all the things that I'd wanted to say. I felt so blocked. And this was just such a freeing experience. And that's why for me, it's more been uh, hallucinogenics that really helped change my life. Uh, and so after that mushroom trip, uh, I took LSD at the University of Indiana for Little 500. That's their spring break event. Uh, Little 500, they have the Daytona 500. So Little 500, the fraternities ride their bicycles around. Nice. Um, yeah. And, you know, we each took two doses. Um, I mean, we ended up tripping for like 16 or 17 hours, but I, I felt chains unwrapping around my body and my soul freeing up and just like internally internalizing that I was a good dude and that I knew who I was and I didn't need to keep listening to everyone telling me that I needed to do this. I needed to do that. All I needed to do to do is be myself and just let the rest work itself out. 
And ever since that day, uh, it's been incredibly rewarding. And uh, I, you know, got into mindfulness. And, you know, really, the biggest thing that I got out of that trip, and this is my perspective is, you know, I believe that life, I, I believe that our books are already written. It's just, it's based on our decisions that determine how the chapters are going to read. Interesting. Well, that is so interesting to hear that it was psychedelics that sort of brought you <laughs> right? out. It sounds like a, a depression that you were feeling and didn't even maybe even fully understand that you were feeling that way. Right. Um, and uh, as I'm sure all our listeners know, psilocybin was recently decriminalized here in Denver. Fuck yep. yeah. Hell yeah. And, yeah. And, and people are starting to realize that, you know, like cannabis and that has been legal for a while here, psilocybin and hopefully one day LSD can be used as medicine. Yes. It can change your mind. And it's so different. It's, I don't, like, I have so much respect for hallucinogenics. They're not drugs to me. It's not like, oh, okay, like, let's roll tonight. Like, you know, that, okay, that you have a good time, whatever. Um, but like, no, that's something that is special to me. Uh, and when I do trip, there's a reason behind it. Uh, it'll either be taking someone on their first experience when, and, and it's all based off vibes and just knowing the situation that you're in. Uh, but the experience that I have and that I allowed myself to have allowed me to really appreciate what uh, another side of life. Um, and it just, you're more connected to the universe. It's, it's unbelievable. And if it weren't for that, uh, I don't know where my life would, would be today. Wow. It's powerful. So how, um, or tell us what your life does look like now in comparison to everything we just talked about in your yeah. past. So 26 years old now, it's just interesting. So even though I had opened my mind up and realized that I was a good dude um, and that all I needed to do is be myself and let the rest work itself out, I still would slip back and forth into addiction. Um, and Oxycontin and heroin was so physically addicting that it, it took control. And at the beginning of this podcast, you, you heard what it did to my life, but I also had the perspective that I was hoping that I knew something else was out there that I didn't need to be a slave to these drugs, um, but that changes needed to be, to be made. So I made them. I turned 30 last Thursday. Uh, you know, I'm living in my own apartment, uh, supporting myself, uh, and I've only scratched the surface. Um, I quit my job as a recruiter in the financial industry because I was doing very well. And have enough belief in myself to pursue my passion, which is sports and rap. Those are the two things that I know about. So blending both worlds together and getting a job in sports broadcasting. And that's exactly what I'm doing. Um, you know, I feel that almost like I've graduated the college of life 
And now I'm at my spot where it's time to make my own mark. I'm not graduating college saying, oh, I want to do this to make my parents happy or I want to do this for that. Like, no, this is my life and I am fully in charge of how things are going to end up working out. And I'm excited to see, uh, I'm excited for things to fall into place. Sounds like a really <laughs> nice journey, you know, of, of self-discovery and then self-improvement. Um, and it, it just sounds like you're on a really good path now. Yeah. And I'm, you know, no longer afraid of living life without opiates and I'm not a slave to heroin. Um, and there's so much more to life than those two, than, than, than substances. But when you're addicted, you only see life through the prism of heroin and it's the fear of like, oh, what can I do? Like, I won't be able to do this with, without this. But then when you realize that it's just the fear and you, you overcome that, life is so rewarding itself. Um, and it's just getting beyond that initial or, or that feeling because it does feel great to get high. There's a reason that it's addicting. Um, but it's the same old story and it gets fucking old quick. So, yeah. It reminds me of a quote I've seen floating around and it's just um, everything you want is on the other side of fear. Mm-hmm. Just I gotta- mean, like 100%. And like, that's what it was with... Like realizing like, all right, this really all boils down to is, oh, so I'm afraid of living life without heroin. Like sack the fuck up then. Like, (laughs) you know, like just don't be a little bitch. Like, and don't allow this to, like we, we were all born not addicted to heroin. So clearly like we're on this earth, not to need to do that drug. So give myself a chance at just living life and seeing what that has to offer. And then I can make my mind up on what side works out better. Um, So, you know, as far as like my preferred method of consumption, because I got arrested in 2015 for a felony, um, I've been on probation. I'm about to be granted early release from a six year probation term. Um, So I don't smoke. Uh, I do trip like once or twice a year, sometimes less, sometimes more. It all depends on the situation. Uh, And I am waiting on my early release letter at the end of this month. Uh, So it looks like everything is going through. I did what I needed to do. So yeah, that'll be awesome. Um, And I really hope that my mind is in a place where I'm able to enjoy weed. And I mean, it's, change so much so i think i'd probably start off smoking primarily cbd based butter heavier cbd based but then definitely then and then just see where things go from there um you know micro dosing is always a great idea too when you're just back into it right just like it with hallucinogenics like right if someone's not sure just like that first trip that i had you know eating that half of a sandwich first so yeah just little by little and just gaining that trust back. Nice. So 
what would some of your suggestions be for others that may have been in a similar situation and, and are struggling now? That it's up to them to quit. I cannot tell them shit because who am I to take away from the internal joy that they'll feel if they conquer, when they conquer this after thinking that it was impossible? It is the greatest feeling in the world, yet it has to come from within. Um, no one can force anyone to do a thing and some people get it. A lot of people don't. And, you know, one thing I can say is, and people will hate this shit, especially if they're going through addiction right now, but they're not alone. Uh, you know, so many people struggle with this and it's really cool to be on the other side to, to, to write your own story. And again, you know, no one can make that decision except for that person um the other you know thing i would say is you are your own person you're not a statistic and forget people who try to lump you into that category um and like if you do end up getting your shit together don't live behind that heroin addict label like you know oh i'm in recovery but i'm a recovered heroin addict like that's still allowing heroin to dictate your life um, you know, I hid behind that label for a while and it wasn't useful. The whole point of overcoming something is to put the dirt in the past and to allow the best version of yourself to shine. Um, and, you know, something that clicked for me was, you know, I was using because I was afraid. And as I said earlier, you know, we weren't put on this planet to be dependent upon heroin. And there's no way that heroin makes anyone them their best selves. I have yet to read a success story about someone who is shooting heroin <laughs> on a daily basis. Um, you know, it feels fucking great, but the story remains the same and life is so much doper when you just allow it to flow. Uh, and you know, things are coming my way naturally instead of constantly seeking. Um, like when I seek, it's to fill something hollow and the more I let go and seek less, I receive more. And I, I think that, you know, goes for everyone. That was really well said. Thank you so much for sharing that message. I think that's really poignant, um, really smart. So um, as far as, as my questions, that, that's about it. But do you have any further thoughts or, or things you think you want to share before we finish? Yeah. Uh, you know, mindfulness for me is key to living my best life. So hallucinogenics opened up another side of life and I knew it was, it was real though, but I didn't have, I don't have to trip every day to enjoy, you know, pure bliss. So meditation and yoga has made a major impact on my life. I'm fully tatted. I like rap music. You would not picture me meditating or in a yoga class. Uh, yet I do, you know, I meditate twice a day and go to yoga three times a week. And it just allows me to be in touch with myself and pay attention to vibes and surround myself around people who are on a similar plane because they care naturally. Um, when I was struggling, there were a ton of people who would always be around to offer me help. And once I made those changes, their lives continued on and they weren't as present in my life after I made the changes like, Oh, well, let's do something now. Like, nah, 
they're still focused on themselves. So it just, it builds perspective and having my own perspective is awesome. Um, and you know, life does not revolve around you. So that's another thing like with making changes, people's lives continue, your life continues, and then you have the ability to surround yourself around people who you want to, who just naturally, who you're naturally attracted to and just allow that to flow. Don't beat yourself up if you slip up. Learn to love yourself and learn for me to love myself is the most essential fucking thing. Um, and believing in myself and doing it for yourself, no one else, not your parents, not your girlfriend, not your wife, not your kids, uh, because that's the only way this shit is going to work for the short and the long term, because you're the one that, that is getting high. It's not anyone else putting it into your system. It's you. So you have to come first. And that allows this to to work and I, I, no, I don't have all the answers at all. And I, I love that fact too, um, yeah. that there's not one magic answer for this. You know, there's plenty of ways to, to overcome it. It's up to the person though. Beautiful. I, I love your story so much. And I think this is so powerful. We might have to make it its own episode. <laughs> <laughs> well, that would be fantastic. However, it can uh, be of use. And I thought you, uh, you know, provided great questions. I really appreciate that. Um, I liked your approach to everything and uh, I'm glad that I could have this experience with you. Yeah. Well, if you ever come out to Colorado, you got to come out uh... there. So I'll hit oh, you really? for sure. Yeah. yeah do. I was just an Aspen actually. And I don't ski. It was, man, it was, it was a good time, but like I went to Denver and like, Oh, we're going to Aspen for some <laughs> festival. Um, I lived there for a little while in Aspen. Yeah. It was too expensive. You, <laughs> yeah. We were a ski bum and then like trying to, yeah. I mean, it was crazy expensive. We saw Arnold Schwarzenegger two times, <laughs> uh, like crazy. Saw him. No one believed us. And we're telling the story about where we saw him and there he was the next day. Like it, we saw Arnold Schwarzenegger right there. And there he he's was. here. Um, <laughs> I hear yeah, he's a big pot smoker, or he used to be a big yeah, pot smoker. Well, I don't know. I mean, my buddy went up and he's like, Arnie, can we take a pic? And he, was like, <laughs> he wasn't, uh, didn't take that too well. So, uh, so but yeah, funny. I will for sure. We'll be in touch. Uh, thank you so much uh, for you. providing me with this opportunity and again things happen for a reason there's got to be a reason that this conversation occurred and we don't know each other from eve well for now i think that reason is you know even if just one person hears this and, and potentially is influenced by your story i think that would be really powerful really important for the world so well you're making this possible so thank you so much Emily. <laughs> thank uh, you thank you for your time i really do appreciate course. it yeah let me know All right. That was Greg Landorf of New York Sports and Rhymes. We're so grateful to him for sharing his story. I know it's hard to relive some of those crazy things. 
And But this is a subject we're super interested in. And we have a couple more episodes about people's stories recovering from alcohol and other addictions using cannabis or psychedelics. It's a fascinating subject. We actually talked to the USDA about it as well to see, you know, kind of get the like professional opinion on using cannabis as a recovery tool. So a lot of interesting stories coming up. Um, I hope everybody's surviving out there in these coronavirus times. Wherever you're quarantined. We hope at least you have a smile on your face, um, which is why we're, we're pumping out more podcasts, just giving you something to distract yourself with a little bit, but also get some cool information here, some crazy stories like this one. Um, and like Strawberry just said, we're going to be coming out with more and more uh, interesting topics as well as launching a marketplace. So we'll have a place for you to actually purchase some CBD, CBG, CBN products. Um, Smoking accessories. While you're in your quarantine. So be on the lookout for that. That is launching very soon. As always, this is the Mary Jane Experience podcast. Please like, follow, and share. Uh, we, we kind of jokingly talked about how liking anything that uh, delivers information like this is actually a form of voting. So vote for the Mary Jane experience. <laughs> go, <laughs> go like us on social media. Stay in touch. Please feel free to email, call if you have any questions or comments or you just want to say hello or need somebody to talk to in these quarantine times. Reach out. We'd love to hear from you guys. Yeah, uh, let us know what you want to learn about while you're stuck at home. There you go. A lot and of people asked us for growing tips. So we're going to do a couple episodes about growing coming up soon. So Perfect. So stay on the lookout for that. that. Thank you again, everybody. We appreciate your listen. We appreciate the engagement. And we love you. Good night, stoners. Peace out, potheads.